It's Friday, friends. Let's let's do something fun. Uh, we just got ChatGPT plugins this week. We got the browsing model. Let's 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 talk plugins. What's possible right now? Like what we have, what we can go out and do today, and what are some interesting applications of plugins, specifically in the accounting space for the apps that we use every day, for maybe some like dream apps that could be developed as plugins but also is there an interesting way to productize this in a client facing way to give our clients easier access to some of the things that we do let's talk about it happy friday it's jason daly okay chat gpt plugins uh this week if you are on chat gpt plus which is the 20 dollars a month paid version of chat gpt you should have gotten access to two things plugins and the browsing model to turn them on you got to go into settings under like beta beta something um and you have to toggle them on so they will not be on by default uh again only for the paid chat gpt folks uh, I will preface all this by saying it's not particularly helpful right now. It's still very early days and some of this stuff is just kind of busted, but it is interesting to look at, uh, how this can be improved upon because a lot of smart people say that we're trending towards like a future of work that's built more around chat interfaces and not around traditional UIs. And it's very possible that, that the ways that we work will consolidate around these chat interfaces that will then uh, connect with all the other apps that we use. So for example, the future of an accounting system may look a lot more like chat than it looks like you know, the traditional accounting system that we understand today. And that would happen via chat and voice interfaces that integrate with the other tools. So this is like significant. This could be um, <clears throat> like it's very possible that what happened this week with the launch of plugins is genuinely something akin to like the iPhone app store, like the introdu- introduction of a new ecosystem that will become really central to the things that we do and um, like what software looks like in the future, right? Uh, specifically, we talked about this in a past episode, but when Bill Gates did his annual he had basically a blog post that said like this is the age of ai uh and one of the things he put his finger on was the fact that uis will be vastly simplified going forward because now a computer's ability to understand natural language is good enough to not need all of those buttons and fields and all of that the buttons and the fields are there to give us really explicit ways to interact with the software but things like ChatGPT, these language models now, are good enough to be able to discern from a normal human sentence what would go into those fields and all of that. So that stuff is no longer necessary. It means if you're a software developer, all of the work that goes into developing those user interfaces and optimizing them and all of that, in a lot of situations, not in every situation, but in many situations, you can kind of sidestep and instead have these chat interfaces. Long-term, it'll be interesting. In some ways, I think it's kind of like the uh, <clears throat> the 
like smartphone keyboard versus physical phone keyboard thing. Like when the iPhone came out and you had the like touch keyboard, I will, I'm not going to say everybody was like this, but I want to say like the vast majority of people are like, Ooh, typing on a screen is just kind of grody. Like it's, you don't have the tactile feedback of the keyboard and it took us a long time to just be like, well, Yep, I guess we're just going to type this way now because it's useful to have that much more screen real estate. I don't know that anybody thinks typing on a screen is fundamentally better than typing on buttons, but eventually we all gave in and now like that's just normal as all these kind of touchscreen um, typing experiences. And my kids, like my kids may never use a keyboard. Like it's like that's just become that normal. Um, But that ultimately was like, this sort of user preference thing, right? Where um, it was this sort of tipping point where there was this different approach to going about talking with your phone. And I think the next few years are going to be sort of a similar interesting tipping point where do we prefer to just chat via text or chat via voice with a single centralized hub that connects to my other apps and that's how I want to go about my work? Or do I still want to have eight tabs open and navigate through all those different apps and use all those user interfaces? I know, I think what we can all agree that we don't want is to have eight tabs open and all of them now have normal user interfaces and chat interfaces, which is what's happening now. Like everybody's building app into their stuff. And so now we're talking to 20 different chat bots every single day. But it'll be interesting to see like, um, what sort of like where user preference kind of lands, um, you know, like the, this kind of sci-fi framing of the movie, her, which if you've never seen that movie, it's a fantastic movie. I think it gets a little PG 13, uh, at a couple points, but it's basically like this near future AI assistant sort of thing. And like, the reality that they portray there, like we're just about there, um, like very close, if not there already. But it's a really interesting um, kind of like sci-fi take on what that near future reality looks like, but it's all built around voice. And right now, voice to text or, or speech to text models, that is, the AI models that take your voice and turn it into text, which ultimately text means action when it comes to chat GPT, like it is the text that will make it go do the thing. Those voice to text, those speech to text models right now are kind of slow. So like, I know a lot of us right now are like, boy, it should be a lot easier if I could just talk with chat GPT. Um, And that whole back and forth, the combination of the speech to text model and then the text to speech model for it to talk back to you, like that latency there is still kind of painful. And the best versions of those now still are Siri and Google Assistant. Like those models are like, have been optimized for years and years to be as fast as possible when it comes to that communication part. But man, Google Assistant and Siri have never looked less intelligent than they do today like if i could flip a switch tomorrow and talk with chat gpt instead of google assistant or don't get me started instead of siri uh i do that in a heartbeat so like it's interesting plugins ultimately are the way that that centralized chat experience which might 
replace a lot of the other ways that we use software. Plugins are the way that that chat experience will interface with all the other things. So this could be like a very significant kind of like turning point in software and how we work and all that. But more practically, uh, the stuff that is out there right now, if you go out and have a play with it, I'd encourage you to give it a try. Um, I'll be definitely sharing more content around specific use cases for plugins as they get better. And some of these issues I'm having may honestly just be me issues. But right now, um, there's just over 70 apps uh, available as plugins. And it is a really eclectic collection of things. On the uh, on the plugins landing page, which I've got up if you're watching on video, they have kind of the most mainstream plugins listed. So they've got like Kayak for doing travel planning and Instacart and OpenTable and Wolfram for doing like math and Zapier, which we'll talk more about. Those are all like pretty big mainstream companies. But if you get down into the nitty gritty and you go to actually like uh, install a plugin. The collection of plugins that are out there right now, honestly, really odd and kind of remind you of the really early app store days where it was just like this weird collection of all sorts of different things from weather apps to calculators. A bunch of companies that I've never heard of from Upskiller, build a curriculum for any topic, Hauling Buddies, Locate dependable animal transporters using recommendations, reviews, and regulatory compliance search features. What? Crafty clues? Guess the words that the AI craftily clues for you. Add restrictions to make your game more interesting. Like games built into ChatGPT. It's a really weird like collection of stuff that's out there right now. But most relevant, like I think the most interesting thing available today is Zapier's uh, ChatGPT plugin. Because Zapier... Uh, if you aren't familiar yet, Zapier is like a connector of apps, a connector of, I think, over 4,000 different cloud apps now where you can like connect those apps and build kind of your custom automations that are based on a trigger. So when X happens, you know, you kick off any number of subsequent actions and you can do this with QuickBooks, with Outlook, with Gmail, with Google Drive, with Dropbox, like pretty much all of the mainstream cloud apps you use support this and a growing number of the cloud practice management systems that we have in our space support this stuff as well. So for example, Firm360 has a really good uh, Zapier integration. You can create like tasks and manage your contacts and stuff like that. I think Client Hub's got some like triggers and actions in Zapier for managing contacts. But the idea of Zapier being a plugin for ChatGPT is interesting because then theoretically, it not only it, it basically extends ChatGPT into all of the things that Zapier can connect with. And the devil will be in the details here and how well it can actually pull in the information that you need and then how that impacts the overall chat experience. Like if it takes a minute for it to go out and do that stuff, is that so much latency that it's just kind of a pain in the butt and I would rather just log in and do that thing manually instead? Um, so the devil will be in the details and how it's implemented. But I can tell you what, in like my initial testing of what it looks like to set up um, the QuickBooks plugin, it's really interesting. Sorry, not the QuickBooks plugin. When I set up the Zapier plugin to work with QuickBooks, 
How it works, honestly, is really intelligent. So basically, you install the Zapier plugin, you give it access to your Zapier account, and then you can add any number of actions, and these are like Zapier actions, to the plugin. So for example, I added QuickBooks find a vendor and QuickBooks find a customer. But there's a whole bunch of Zapier actions that are supported in QuickBooks. So other things you could give ChatGPT the power to do with a QuickBooks file, create a bill, create a credit memo, create customers, estimates, expenses, products, invoices, journal entries, payments. I did a big old long list. Find stuff, look stuff up. And all of these actions can be set up with the Zapier plugin that will then fetch that information for ChatGPT even write information back to your QuickBooks files. So like using the create an invoice example, the way it works basically is when you create the action for the plugin, that is you're working with the Zapier plugin that specifically works with ChatGPT, you create an action there that's like create invoice. And when you're creating that action, you can have it either always use certain values or pull values to create the invoice from the conversation. So for example, and this is just hypothetical, let's say you need five different fields to create an invoice, you know, a date, a customer, a dollar amount, a chart of account, like account and a due date or something like that. I'm just making that up. You can have it, you know, for example, always create that invoice for Jim's car wash, or you can tell it, figure it out from the conversation. Uh, the dollar amount, you could have it always figure it out from the conversation or it can always be fixed. Like let's say you wanted to create a chat GPT conversation that was for a very, very specific use case. Maybe this company invoices just this one thing kind of all day long. You can lock that down so that you're always invoicing for the same thing. And maybe the only variables there are the customer and the quantity of what you're invoicing. And it fills out all that, all the other stuff automatically. Uh, like it always puts the current date in for the, the date on the invoice, stuff like that. So that's pretty interesting. And that's just one like little baby example of how you can use Zapier to bridge ChatGPT to QuickBooks. This episode is brought to you in part by Meester and Company, who is hiring a CAS manager. You can put job listings on this podcast. Yep. Meester and Company is a firm in Northern California. They're hiring a remote CAS manager teeny bit of travel required, but you can generally be anywhere. Let me tell you why Meester and company is better than the firm that you work for right now, buddy. Okay, listen up. A few reasons. Our team is top priority, not revenue. We concentrate on our strengths and aren't afraid to turn down the wrong clients or projects. Our firm's success starts with our team members. You sold yet? We believe in work-life balance. It probably won't have you running a daily show. No billable hours or timesheets. We focus on results. They specialize in tax, accounting, and advisory engagements. Steer clear of audit and attest work, because who the heck wants to do that? It is a modern, forward-looking firm that is building out their cast practice, and you just might be the perfect person to help them do that. Let's just, let's just zoom out. Of all the firms you could go work for, the firm that's advertising on this silly little podcast, how many people listen to this? Oh. Not very many. So if you're looking for something new in the cast space, check out this job listing, put it in the show notes. You never know. It could be could be the job of your dreams. Hmm? This episode is sponsored in part by Liveflow. Let me tell you about Liveflow, okay? Liveflow is a powerful product that puts your advanced reporting on autopilot. 
You know what that means? Autopilot means you just you set it up and it just goes. The software is designed to simplify the process of creating reports by turning your spreadsheet into a scalable and real-time FP&A platform, buddy. This means that you can spend less time manually updating spreadsheets, that's a win, and more time analyzing the data and advising your clients. One of the key benefits of LiveFlow is its ability to automate the process of streamlining reports from QuickBooks. This means you can easily import all your client financial data into Google Sheets where it can be transformed into a fully customizable thing that can be tailored to meet any of your needs, you little snowflakes. Even do like cool consolidations, custom dashboards, all that stuff. Anything that's in that QuickBooks file, you sync it back and forth, bada boom, bada bang. LiveFlow is gonna do it for you, bud. Learn more, check out the link in the video description, the, the show notes, you know, check out the link. Now, do we need to be concerned about security around this stuff? Yeah, you probably need to think about it. Um, right now, the way your chat GPT works by default is it will save those conversations so that you can come back to them later. By default, it will also train the model on the prompts that you submit into it. Does that ultimately matter for things like creating invoices and looking up a customer and stuff like that? I don't know. You decide that for yourself. I'm not going to tell you. If I was doing this on my own QuickBooks file, I don't think I would have any concerns. I don't store sensitive stuff in my QuickBooks file. But this is really interesting. A good example of uh, how ChatGPT may soon become a lot more than ChatGPT. It may actually be like, you know, do I ever actually have to log into that app? Uh, or can I integrate it with ChatGPT and just use it from that interface? and theoretically reduce the number of things that I have to log into every day. Another really interesting thing I learned as I was kicking the tires on this, in a chat GPT conversation, you can have any number of plugins enabled at a time, which, I don't know, for whatever reason, I assume that you would just be connected with one plugin at a time. But if you think about the apps that you use every day, maybe that's, you know, Notion and Zapier and ClickUp and QuickBooks, and let's just assume they're all nice cloud-connected apps for the purposes of this exercise. Uh, like, the reality is you can hop into a conversation where you have customized how ChatGPT can interface with all these other apps that you use commonly day-to-day, and throughout that conversation, like it's constantly pulling information and pushing information to all those different services. It is like this little personal assistant that you've got in your pocket that can see into all those different tools that you use. Pretty cool, right? And again, the devil will be in the details and how each of those plugins are implemented and what things it will let you do. And will it do those things reliably? Uh but I love like the idea of almost like consolidating an interface for a bunch of things that you do into a single chat conversation. That's pretty cool, right? Now let's let's uh, let's take a stop at the old uh, imagination station. Uh, so dream plugins that you would like to see. Uh, let's get creative. I, I think the obvious ones are QuickBooks and Zero. Um, do they develop? Plugins, and I think a lot of companies are, are thinking through this right now. Do they develop plugins for ChatGPT or do they build their own chat experience, right? Like, what's the right move? By developing a plugin for ChatGPT, are you potentially cannibalizing what could be a cool chat product that you build that ultimately would probably be better? Like, if you built your own thing from scratch uh, where that integration could be completely custom, uh, there's probably like a more pure 
like higher ceiling on how cool that chat experience could be. Uh, but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if if they develop plugins or not. I would suspect that they would because this is one of those kind of like platform ecosystem things where like it's just good to turn up at the party, kind of like Zapier. Like these companies are building things to be supported on Zapier just so that like the bigger network effects of being there, I think, are are a positive. Uh, but what would a QuickBooks or a Zero plugin uh, enable? Boy. Uh, I mean, the age old problem with accounting software is, is they're stuck between this. Is this a tool for accountants or is this a tool for normies? If it's a tool for normies, it makes accountants annoyed and is still hard to make it understandable for anybody. If it's a tool for accountants, you're never going to get small business owners to buy it. And I mean, I don't know that there has ever been an accounting suite built just for accountants. Like, and I, I would even say like original QuickBooks desktop. I don't, I don't know that I would go as far as to say that was built for accountants. Like fundamentally, these products are built on SMBs coming and buying their product. And then accountants are like the secondary sales channel. But if a G- ChatGPT plugin can make those tools more accessible for normies, you think about all the things ChatGPT could have access to, could ac- have access to all the help documentation, could have access to all of the the uh, Q&A forums with people asking weird questions and then inevitably getting angry in the replies. It could draw on all that stuff to like help that person, I don't know, hustle an accounting system and maybe a more accessible way. I think it would be really interesting to see a new uh, accounting software that existed purely as a plugin. So right now we're seeing traditional apps creating plugins for ChatGPT. But I think you're going to have uh, apps that solely exist in chat. And that plugin is maybe kind of just like long-term memory for that thing. So what would a chat-only accounting software look like? Um, it's Honestly, it's probably just hustling, like managing the debits and the credits on the back end. So like a really simple version of that would be, um, you know, you copy and paste in some bank transactions and it helps you account for those. Maybe a really simple version of this is like a PNL only version of like a wave or something like that, right? So you check in and you copy paste in a spreadsheet of transactions or something like that and it walks you through any questions it needs you to answer for categorization and stuff like that. And what's happening in the actual app is like it's serving as the database for the transactions. Uh, and it's like this lightweight, maybe kind of entry-level accounting system. Other, I mean, other obvious people who ought need to get in the loop here, uh, the tax research vendors. Um, the value of those tax research vendors is like the, the data, like the database that they're sitting on top of, all that source material. And in some cases, really helpful proprietary material where they've developed their own opinions and summarizations and tools around the actual authoritative stuff. Uh, the, the the biggest issue with those is accessibility and the fact that most of them are built on top of text-based search. And when I search for something, it just shows all the instances where that exact phrasing turns up, which is a far cry from answering my question and usually just as like fetching documents for you to then comb through and research yourself. And if you've ever done tax research, you know that that instance where it mentions your thing, like 18 page later, there, pages later, there's an exception to that thing it just told you, and that's just a pain. But a more intelligent version of AI that like pulls all that stuff together into a more 
a more uh, helpfully summarized answer along with exceptions, that's really cool. Um, but those tax research vendors, man, like to to be able to connect the tax research suite that I have to a chat GPT conversation and it fetch the most relevant stuff for a conversation and pull that in. It's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Like the ease of talking to chat GPT, which will continue to get better. And I imagine at some point we'll get really good voice support, um, like backed with the authoritative information and my tax research suite, like kind of marrying uh, the best of both those things, right? Now, one interesting angle to plugins um, oftentimes when I'm thinking about how I'm automating things for my firm, that extends to how I'm automating things for my clients. Cause oftentimes the clients have the same problems my firms do, my firm does. Uh, and so I start thinking is, is there a way to productize an application of this for my clients in a client facing way? How can it solve their problems? And is there a way for me to build some passive revenue around a solution I can extend to them? And honestly, I really think there is going back to the examples of the various ways you can set up that Zapier plugin. Um, you know, as you're having a conversation and you're getting a deep understanding of of the pain points for that specific business, they're always they're always so much more specific than we can imagine and then than the kind of general examples that we give. It's always like I sell at this Saturday market every week and like this app will not let me do this specific thing and I end up having to do this additional thing that creates three hours of work right like it's always that very very specific thing and so if we go back to the example of configuring the Zapier plugin to create an invoice and whether you set those fields to grab the customer from the conversation or the things that you're selling from the conversation or just put it on rails and say it's actually always this product and what we want to do is just have a chat interface where they just have to provide the person's name, the person's, the customer's name, the customer's email, and how many of those things they're going to buy. And it'll email them an invoice, but it'll be in my QuickBooks file. And like they can make a payment on the invoice and all that. Like a super lockdown chat experience where that's all you've got to do. Man, that's super rad. Uh, like clients would love that. And you could absolutely charge them for that and like updating it for them over time and stuff like that. Like that sort of thing I, I set up for a client. Sometimes we'll do an upfront implementation fee, but we will almost always do an ongoing recurring fee. And all I do is I create a Zapier account that is like just for that. You probably create an open AI account that's just for that, connected to their QuickBooks. And like that is now a client service that we're kind of managing for them. This episode is sponsored in part by Client Hub. This week on Tales from the Hub. Yeah, that's a thing. Let's talk about a firm. This firm is called Super Smart Accounting Solutions. They realized profitability of their firm comes down to how efficiently they can get responses from clients. You know, that old chestnut. So they prioritized a practice management platform that would make their client experience so good that the clients would just be foaming at the mouth to get them answers as quickly as possible. Client Hub, hey buddy, it was the obvious choice. Practice management with an amazing client portal at its core. The fine people at Super Smart Accounting Solutions, this isn't fictional. They love the idea of a system that is boundaryless. Clients are users just like the staff are users. And the client portal's like the core of the product. It's not just this afterthought sort of bolt-on thing, right? Client Hub, let me tell you, blew their minds. They loved it, they adopt it. Super easy, they had that sucker going in a week. 
A week? When's the last time you changed practice management systems in a week? Mm-hmm. That's Tales from the Hub. We'll be back with more tales next week. Check out Client Hub at the link in the show notes. Video description? One of those. Just on the subject of how easy this stuff is getting, um, about two hours ago, OpenAI announced um, a ChatGPT app for iOS, which is great. Uh, but the thing I'm most excited about is it will take voice inputs. So like this is a first step to being able to have a, a uh, app open that is like listening for you and able to have a conversation back and forth. So for that person who is at that Saturday market, like, man, having an earbud in or something like that as they're working with with potential customers and being able, able to hit the microphone button on that app and say invoice Sally Smith sally at aol.com okay maybe it breaks down there uh for you know 10 jars of of my homemade free range mayonnaise um that example fell apart uh but like just thinking through what are the solutions uh, that we can help clients with and the fact that it's getting easier than ever to use chat gpt and you could get them set up with the app on their phone and like they can use it over text over voice like I think there's probably some cool opportunities there to help our clients solve some problems, like pretty much just with as good as it is today. Uh, the Zapier plugin has been fiddly for me. It's worked about half the time. The other half of the time, it's just broke and never like completed the task that it was working on. Uh, very early days for this stuff. I have to imagine at some point like it'll be much more reliable than it is now. But like I said, as as that stuff starts working better, I'll... I'll uh, I'll start talking about some more kind of specific cool use cases we could we could build around that thing. Um, <clears throat> shower thought. Uh, oh, one last thing before shower thought. Uh, I had mentioned previously, like, what would it look like for a firm to have a plugin? Because pretty much anybody can create a plugin and submit it to OpenAI to be approved right now. Uh, I I think that's really interesting. Like as we're talking about proprietary context and and thought documenting your thought leadership so that you can use it in in ai tools and that sort of thing um this is the hardest it will ever be to build plugins for chat gpt it will continue to get easier eventually we'll have no code solutions for building custom plugins for chat gpt and man like if you want to look like a real nerd uh and impressive to your clients if they're into this sort of thing like having a a extension of chat GPT that can see into your proprietary context and kind of your thoughts on different subject matters and clients being able to pull that in. Like that could be pretty cool. Uh, there's an app out there that raised some money that is specifically for developing, simplifying the process of developing plugins. It's called Langdoc, uh, langdoc.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. And right now what it will do is Basically, you point it to an API and it'll create the plugin for you. So if you're a product company and you have an API, that just made it way easier for you to develop the plugin. There are like no code uh, ways to create your own API for your own data right now. Uh, But I wouldn't go as far as to say this is like accessible for the average Joe right now. Um, But it's going to keep getting easier. So like one day, like you could absolutely develop a plugin. for ChatGPT for your firm or something like that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Okay, shower thought. Get the caps on. Uh, Are you noticing the AI-generated stuff on social media yet? So some really glaring examples on Twitter. There's, and, you know, 75% of the Twitter feed now is threads, like it or not. Um, 
And you're seeing a lot of very similar threads trending, which is interesting. And I think this is happening either due to one of two reasons. Either um, these accounts are generating these threads from the same service, and so when they come out, they're similar. I, or I think the more likely scenario is we have AI tooling that is grabbing the fastest trending stuff on social and then reposting a modified version of it automatically. And so like, that's not a hard thing to build right now. Like you can think through what that would look like. Um, you know, maybe every three hours it goes to Twitter search it does a search for AI and returns the hottest stuff from the last 12 hours. Maybe it does that every three hours or maybe it grabs just the hottest threads of the last 12 hours. Um, it takes each of those tweets. It kind of rephrases them, um, you know, changes them somehow, and then automatically posts that thread to their own feed. Um, I'm seeing this a ton on Twitter right now. I'm seeing on LinkedIn, I'm seeing more and more LinkedIn comments that are very obviously AI generated. So uh, just around the game of, you know, engaging with people online and that endearing them to you, you know, like there's somebody that you want to get in with and meet with or something like that, like, you know, comment on every post that they make for the month for a month and there's a much greater likelihood they're going to be willing to connect with you. I think it's getting really obvious there is tooling there that is making it easier to do that on an automated basis with GPT generated comments. Um, and I, Maybe I don't know if it's just a me thing because I've spent more time than most nerding on this stuff, but I think it's pretty easy for me to notice the stuff that is GPT generated. Like, is that where you're at right now? Like when you see something that is AI generated, are do you read something and you're like, oh, like that's really obviously chat GPT. Like are more and more of us getting there uh, right now? Like I do think it's, it is noticeable. So anyway, the, the shower thought was, um, this stuff is, it's, I, I think it's going to take something big to kick off the AI regulation conversation in a meaningful way. So this week we had Sam Altman and a couple other folks testifying about AI regulation. Open AI wants AI regulation. They've kind of become the target of like the folk, like the doomer, um, kind of, some of it is fear-mongering. A lot of it is legitimate. Like, it does need to be regulated, in my opinion. Um, but OpenAI has kind of become the target for that. And they're like, hey, like, we're here and we we, we know there needs to be regulation. Uh, which is a little counterintuitive. Why would they, seemingly they have the most to lose from regulation. So why are they the ones pushing it? The flip side of that argument is generally in regulated environments, uh, the biggest companies win because they have the most lobbying power and dollars and all of that. And so usually regulation will favor the bigger players. Obviously, there's a ton of nuance in that. But uh, it's always fascinating to watch hearings about that are around technology and seeing, you know, that like the TikTok one was like the all time um, getting into like how Wi-Fi networks work and just like the, some of the questions that they asked that were asked by the politicians are just shocking and you realize what a void there there is like what a gap there is between the politicians that are making policy decisions and where technology is at like those are just worlds apart um, but the questions there were interesting um, even more interesting like after after the hearing CNBC was interviewing Sam Altman and he's like standing with a you know a crowd of 
crowd of reporters around him and they're asking things like, people are concerned it'll become self-aware. What do you have to say about that? Uh, I think one of them literally said, what is the risk of of losing control of ChatGPT? Which ChatGPT is just an, an interface like that. Like it's, uh, but like that's where, that's where kind of mainstream is at right now uh, with kind of their level of understanding of it and, and the, the fear of it. But, you know, I would honestly argue with, even though AI feels like it's taken over the news cycle, um, I, I would still argue like people aren't learned and concerned enough about it and they won't be until something happens. And I do think something will happen that will all of a sudden make that conversation much more mainstream. And that could be, I mean, that could be the next election cycle. Like, I mean, things as simple as like the Twitter threads that we're talking about, like the ability to spin up these identities that can build a following, legitimately build an organic following on the back of AI generated content. Um, That has never been easier. I mean, that's easier than it has ever been before to do that stuff at a, at an insane volume. And so we've kind of got this arms race of the platforms against the people that are like developing that misinformation and those sort of false identities, because ultimately like, uh, like you don't know whether the, that person you follow is, is real, you know, is like an actual person or is like this. Um, yeah, but It'll be interesting. Like I think, like it's that those hearings, and I thought about doing an interest uh, uh, episode on AI regulation coming out of those hearing things. I decided not to because I didn't want to put everybody to sleep. Uh, but it's interesting. Like we're still in such early stages on what that regulation would look like. There's some really smart stuff discussed in the hearing. There's a thirty. Somebody on Twitter did a thirty-minute like supercut trim down version of the whole thing that I'll put a link to in the show notes that was awesome and you can watch it at 2x speed so you can basically watch the whole hearing in 15 minutes and these are very smart people sharing very good ideas for how AI regulation should be done but when it came back then to like the news interviews it just really shone a light on like how early stages the kind of mainstream understanding of this is how I don't think people are taking it super seriously yet. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't know that they will until something goes sideways. Uh, and then you worry about it like swinging too far the other way and people being really panicked. And like right now, I don't feel like AI has been like politicized yet so much. Like you take all the other issues and it's like, okay, this camp is this stance on an issue and this camp has this stance on an issue, right? I don't feel like AI is quite there yet. And my fear is that big um, kind of cornerstone moment where AI does something really bad or AI enables something really evil that gets a bunch of people upset. I think that's probably going to be the divisive thing um, that then, you know, you risk depending on, you know, what party's in control at the time, you run the risk of that then triggering like overregulation, like too much. So if let's say something happens in the election cycle that heavily favors one party over the other. And, you know, the party in power is the one that was done wrong by that. It becomes a real risk then of like overreacting and, and really locking stuff down maybe in a way that isn't constructive as a reaction to that thing that happened. So I am a little worried about that stuff. And that like, I would encourage you to check out that the little kind of supercut that I share in the, 
show notes because it was a very practical conversation of like what are the best ways to regulate it in a responsible way right now that isn't going to torpedo the innovation and all the concerns you would have with regulation right uh it's been a fun week um thanks for coming and hanging uh i got something for you on monday monday i'm giving away free conference tickets yeah i know right wow jason that's a thing you can do yes such much power and influence. Uh, we're going to do that on Monday. Uh, come and hang out. Uh, I've got five to give away, and I'll share more information about that. Uh, I'll see you next week. Have a killer weekend. Bye. Bye.